Luke 2.10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Light shines in the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, who you you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Psalm 97.11-12 Why do we light the third candle? The third candle reminds us that Jesus' birth brings joy to all those who believe in him. So we join all of creation in celebrating him. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Matthew 2, 10 through 11a. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4 4, 10. Week 3, Day 1. Jesus is the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hebrews 4.14 The most prestigious spiritual leader in Israel was the high priest. Of all the priests and rulers in the nation, he was the one who could enter the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. After ceremonial cleansing for his own sins, he would go behind the thick veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. There he would offer the blood of a goat on the golden mercy seat that sat atop the Ark of the Covenant, so that sins of Israel would be covered for another year. The old priesthood and system of sacrifices was not meant to last forever. God gave them to Moses and the Israelites to foreshadow their fulfillment in Jesus. They had to repeat sacrifices every year, but Jesus' death on the cross made final atonement for our sins and abolished the system once and for all. Just as the Arianic high priest would disappear from the people's view when they entered the Holy of Holies, so Jesus passed through the heavens into the sanctuary of God. He is the one to hear our prayers because he has entered the Holy of Holies in heaven. As the writer of Hebrews explains, there were many high priests throughout history since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. 7, 23-24 He remains to this day the enduring high priest who is alive and able to fulfill that role. In heaven, Jesus sits on the great throne of grace, ready to hear our prayers and assist us in our time of need. He sympathizes with us and our weakness because he himself was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15-16 Jesus is not aloof and prideful, but rather concerned and available. This comforting truth invites us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because Jesus is our high priest, we no longer need anyone else to intercede between us and God. We have direct access to the Father through Jesus, and He stands ready and willing to help us in our time of need. Dear Jesus, I can't even fathom what a big deal this is. You freed us of the requirements of purification, rituals, sacrifices, and law. Through your death on the cross, you you tore the curtain that separated us from the presence of God, and now we can come directly to you without any other mediator. Forgive me for neglecting this privilege so often. Rekindle in me a desire to spend time in your presence and to live my life in the daily realities of your throne room. And Lord, we also just want to uh, come before you in anything that we, um, whether we say or even read or pray about that isn't aligned with your truth and your goodness, um, 
or is uh, self-reflecting or um, self-promoting, Lord, let it let it go far by the wayside and like your uh, your shining star, uh, let it show to uh, the people that are listening to this and let us just be way out of the way and uh, from our antics to um, anything, Lord, just let your truth be heard and let your goodness be heard, your Holy Spirit be the ones that are convicting the hearts of uh, the listeners and even ourselves and uh, just your good uh, graces and the gospel of your son Jesus uh, shine through um, this reading and these prayers and uh, this whole podcast. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Week three, day two. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 1.8. For those who are unfamiliar with the Greek alphabet, this name may not mean much at first, but simply saying Alpha and Omega means A to Z wouldn't do it justice. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet and and represent the entirety of not just letters, but all knowledge, all existence, and all time. From beginning to end, Jesus was, is, and will be, and all things live, move, and have their being in him. Acts 17.28 There is nothing outside the realm of his presence. He sovereignly rules over all existence. Through him all things were created that will be, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16-17 But Jesus is not only the beginning and end of all creation, he is also the author and finisher of our faith. He experienced the full range of human life alongside us, yet without sin. From his birth in a, in a humble stable to being ostracized by his own community to hanging on a cross like a criminal, Jesus lived a life of faith, entrusting himself to his Father and walking in obedience. And when he breathed his last breath, he declared, It is finished. The work of justification had its beginning and its end in Jesus. Jesus did all this looking at his current circumstances through the eyes of faith, knowing the joy set before him, Hebrews 12:2. For Jesus, that joy was knowing that he would be resurrected in glory and spend eternity with his bride, the church, which he came to save. We can take comfort in our Alpha and Omega, knowing that whatever we experience in this journey of faith, we are not alone. Jesus has gone before us. He welcomed us into into this journey, and he will see us safely to the end. Lord, we thank you for going before us. Nothing is unknown to you, even when we wonder how bills will get paid or how life is going to work out, you endured so much more in your life, yet you did it with joy. Help us to trust you, not just at the beginning of our journey, but every day until the end. In your holy, mighty name, amen. amen. Day three. Jesus is the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. You are the branches. John 15, 1 and 5a. When I was growing up, my father was an amateur viticulturalist. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know what that is. Let's let's start that over. Probably a vitaminocalist. All right, all right. Throughout the Old Testament, the vine was used as a symbol of Israel often to show how she was lacking in some way. God carefully tended his vine, protecting it from harsh elements and creating an environment for it to flourish. 
yet Israel rebelled. God was just to judge ju- God was just to judge her harshly, but he graciously provided another vine. In contrast to Israel, Jesus is the true vine. He is the faithful one who fulfills all that Israel failed to do. Whereas she was wild and rebellious, he was submissive and obedient. While she yielded bad fruit, he produced good fruit in keeping with righteousness. He was in every way the epitome of all God called his people to do, and he calls us to union with him so that we may also produce good fruit. Left to ourselves, we cannot produce good fruit any more than Israel remained faithful. We are subject to the same weaknesses and sin impulses as they were thousands of years ago. By ourselves, we would go the way of rebellious Israel. So God snipped our branch from the wild vine, grafted us into his family through Jesus, and tenderly creates the opportune environment for us to flourish. If you wonder about your spiritual fruitfulness, Jesus' last conversation with his disciples before his death offers a beautiful opportunity for prayerful reflection. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. These were the very men who in a few hours would abandon their teacher, but afterwards repented and went on to spread the good news of Jesus throughout the world. So there is hope for any one of us who has walked away, but returns with a repentant heart. The vine dresser will prune us to produce outward fruit that demonstrates inner transformation. Surprisingly, Jesus does not call us to work hard to be more fruitful. Rather, he calls us to abide in him, to wait on him. Fruit will naturally follow for those who remain connected to him because his spirit is the one who produces the fruit. Galatians 5.22-25 We belong not because of what we do, but because of who he is. He is the vine, we are the branches, and he will bear fruit through us as we remain in him. As the true vine, Jesus both fulfills Old Testament prophecy and makes possible our inclusion in God's family. He sustains us, connecting us with the nourishment we need to bear fruit. He pulses out healing salve to bind our wounds when the gardener prunes us to be more fruitful. He supports us when the weight we carry seems too much to bear. Jesus is the reason we're part of the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. In him, we can bear much fruit for his kingdom. We need only to abide, and he will do the rest. Lord God, we come before you. Thank you for that reading, Uh, Tim. And just a reminder that uh, when we are good, it's only because you are good in us. You're doing something with us to produce goodness. Or even uh, for unbelievers who do good. Uh, It's not counted to them because they're in in constant rebellion. Uh, But it's because they're made by you. You have put your fingerprint on them. They They ought to do good supposed to do good, even in rebellion and in their, in their, uh, in them being lost. Uh, and yet there is still great hope that when they, uh, receive you in repentance and faith, they are grafted in, just like the reading said, you are the, you are the vine and we are the branches. Uh, and anytime we produce bad fruit or don't produce any fruit at all, that branch is pruned, uh, and thrown away so that good fruit could be produced um, and also um, just to allow us to see what um, what happens when we do produce the things that you want us to produce um, and I just 
I just pray that you would help us to, to reflect on that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to um, see that when we do good, we need to give you the glory. And when we do bad, Lord, we examine ourselves and see uh, what we can prune off or allow you to prune off in order to produce good fruit, Lord. And for those that don't know you, that they would understand that to be a part of that uh, wonderful process of, of pruning and producing great fruit and uh, seeing the growth, uh, they must submit to you and be, be grafted in into your, into your tree of life and into your process of sanctification, which is simply uh, just purifying uh, the bad fruit and the bad things out of our lives in order to be uh, on our way into to more purity and eventually perfection through your uh, Son, Jesus Christ's second coming and uh, making all things new again. Uh, and again, Lord, I just pray that we would focus on your truth and anything that is said here or prayed here or read here, Lord, uh, it will reflect you and your truth and anything not, Lord, just like the branches would uh, be cut away and thrown away and forgotten about so that your good fruit can be seen and heard and uh, produced. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Day four, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. For us, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and he will be called Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, and peace there will be no end. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7a. During his time on earth, Jesus restored peace everywhere we went. He calmed tumultuous storms, he brought healing to the sick, he raised the dead to life. He forgave sinners their sins. Isaiah prophetically calls the coming Messiah the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6. And the angels announcing the birth of Jesus declare, On earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, Luke 2.14. Jesus came to restore not just peace as we understand a cessation, sorry, let me say this, C-E-S-S-A-T-I-O-N, cessation, like sensation or cessation? Okay, I'll read that in a little party in. Cut. Jesus came to restore not just peace as we understand a cessation of hostility, but a rich, full, abiding harmony of life. His first coming began this process of restoring peace between us and God. His second coming will bring wholeness as he intended, intended his creation to be when he first set the universe in motion. In contrast to human history, Filled with war, gloom, and despair, the reign of Jesus will be marked by flourishing peace, wholeness, and delight. Isaiah 9 describes the shift from gloom and darkness to the messianic age, and Malachi describes the time when the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Malachi 4.2 uh, ESV, English Standard Version. Jesus' rule will restore well-being to individuals and to society as a whole when he brings worldwide peace in his future kingdom on the new earth. But Jesus' reign of peace is not reserved for his future kingdom. It begins here and now for all those who follow him. The Prince of Peace br brings us peace with God, the end of spiritual enmity and striving to se secure God's favor through our good works, as well as peace of mind and heart, a state of being at rest despite difficult circumstances because we know that God is in control. In fact, the very night Jesus was betrayed, in his last teaching moments with his disciples, Jesus promised them peace, not as the wor world offers it, but as only he can, only he can give. John 14:27. No matter what would happen, they could rest and enjoy sweet fellowship with God, which would then create ripple effects in their relationships with the world around them. We live in the present reality of God's kingdom. 
pushing back the kingdom of darkness and bringing to fruition the peace of Jesus, just as he is the Prince of Peace. So he calls us to be makers of peace all around us, Matthew 5.9. Though the world may be caught up in anxiety and worry, we can rest securely in the knowledge that Jesus is making all things right, and we can participate with him in bringing peace to a broken world as we look forward to the future kingdom of peace. Father, what a beautiful picture you paint for us. I can't wait for your reign to begin and for all the ugliness of sin to disappear. But in the here and now, fill us with your peace and help us to bring peace in all our interactions. When there is worry, bring a reassurance of your provision. When there is strife, bring to mind your humility. And where there is bickering, bring to our hearts your love. Be our peace, we pray in your holy mighty name. Amen. Day 5. Jesus is the bread of life. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 6.35 In the ancient Middle East, bread was a staple part of people's diet. It was the most reliable source of energy for the body and was readily available with little preparation. For the Israelites in particular, bread was considered a special food because of its religious connotations. In the tabernacle and later the temple, there was a table of showbread in the holy place that symbolized God's desire to fellowship with his people, as well as the bit of manna that was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies as a symbol of God's provision. When Jesus used the phrases bread of life and bread from heaven, his listeners would have immediately thought of the story of manna. God gave manna to the traveling Israelites in the wilderness to save them from certain death by starvation. In a similar way, God gave Jesus into the world to save us from certain death by separation from him. But Jesus wasn't simply drawing a parallel to Moses. He taught that the bread of life is greater than the manna their ancestors received under Moses. In fact, his declaration came shortly after the feeding of 5,000, a miracle that became an object lesson about the greatness of Jesus over Moses. The manna God provided through Moses satisfied only temporarily. The manna Jesus was offering, his very life, satisfies eternally. Jesus offers himself to all who believe in him an invitation to fellowship that isn't restricted to priests as a showbread but was what showbread was but is open to all just as Jesus himself ate with tax collectors prostitutes and sinners and in the beautiful picture of the last supper we're reminded that Jesus's broken body secures our place at God's table as a morsel of bread becomes part of our bodies and gives us energy so Jesus becomes part of us when we believe in him and opens access to fellowship with God. He satisfies every longing and desire with himself. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalms 16:11. The bread of life invites us to feast on him. Jesus, you are everything I've ever wanted, but how often I turn to other things to satisfy the desire of my soul. Forgive me for replacing you with idols in my life. Only you can satisfy. Teach me to hunger for you and feast on you. May you be my heart's chief desire. Amen.